Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and before we get to the second episode on rheumatoid arthritis, I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about the podcast itself. So we're winding down the second year of this podcast, and it's a good time to do some reflection. I've been very blessed over the course of the last few years to have the opportunity to talk to some of the most experienced and knowledgeable teachers, practitioners, thought leaders in the field. And I originally got to do it because this was a way to challenge my fear of public speaking and to address a need I saw in the public discourse around bodywork. I released the first episode in the beginning of January 2017, and I'm very proud of how it has grown and taken on a life of its own. I started out with only a dozen or so listeners for the first few months, but with the support of friends, family, and my guests, it has blossomed beyond my expectations. You know, it's hard to believe when I look at the numbers, but as of this podcast, we're close to 100,000 total plays. That's a lot of lives that these interviews have touched. And while many of the reasons I started this podcast were about personal and professional growth, it was ultimately for you, the listeners. Without you, I'm just a curious dude asking questions and talking into the void. So the first thing I need to do is thank you because you have taken the time out of your days to listen to me poke and prod and explore different topics within this industry. And without you, this podcast would have stalled and died long ago. I also want to take a moment to thank uh, Till Lukau, who helped me out tremendously at a critical point in the life of the podcast. He introduced me to many of my future guests, and he actually, his trust helped me believe that this project had a real future. And lastly, I want to thank my wife, Jenny, who has always been my most valuable coach behind the scenes helping to inspire me, provide guidance when I'm feeling lost, and give me honest reflections when I'm not seeing things clearly. It is both with excitement and sadness that I'm letting you know that I'm putting the podcast on pause for 2020. There are a few reasons, but the most significant is the recognition that as I expand the number of therapists that work with me, the time and attention necessary to guide that growth effectively is also going to need to increase. And if I don't give it the attention that it needs, that project, which is how I make my livelihood, will suffer and stall. Now, I realize this is a big change, and I don't take it lightly. I know that many of you have gotten used to making this podcast a regular part of your life. Whether it's at the gym or during your morning commute, I truly do feel honored that you've given me your time. And when thinking about how to tell you all about this news and my decision, I thought it would also be right to leave you with an episode that perhaps has a chance to tie in what we have explored together over the last few years. So I'm going to be bringing in my friend Linda Aldridge to interview me about my experiences producing the podcast. She was my 15th guest on the podcast, so I feel like it's only fitting to let one of my former guests turn the tables on me. I hope you enjoy it while also finding it useful and entertaining. This project has been a wild ride for me, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining me along the way. And with that, let me introduce you to our last round of panelists that will be discussing rheumatoid arthritis. 
First up, we have Joe Muscolino, a soft tissue-oriented chiropractor who has been in the health and wellness field for decades. He has experience teaching massage therapists in the academic setting, and he currently has an impressive library of bodywork-centered videos that are a valuable resource for health and wellness practitioners. You can find a link to them in the How's the Pressure website. Our second guest is Irene Lyon, a nervous system expert who will be drawing on her experience in Feldenkrais and somatic experiencing to address this condition through the lens of trauma. Our third guest will be Robin Scher, who will help us look at the subject from a cranial sacral point of view. And our final guest is Marjorie Brooke, who will be helping us understand how scar tissue plays a role in this condition. All of my guests have decades of experience in their, and are educators in their speciality. And as always, we have a lot to get to. So I give you the second and final panel. This one is on rheumatoid arthritis. All right, now we're going to go ahead and turn to Joe Muscolino to bring a soft tissue-oriented chiropractic perspective to this conversation. Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, Haley. Thank you very much for having me back here. It's my pleasure. All right, so today we're talking about rheumatoid arthritis. What are your thoughts on that condition? Rheumatoid arthritis is a really tough condition. Um, I would love to say something about how manual therapists can really work on it, but actually, in my opinion, manual therapists can really not do anything directly to affect the condition itself of rheumatoid arthritis. So what is rheumatoid arthritis? As Ruth, I'm sure, explained, I didn't have the benefit of hearing her explanation first. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune condition where your body's immune system attacks the intrinsic fascial tissue of your joints, uh, the joint capsule ligament complex there. And it tends to go to certain joints before others, but it can get to a lot of them. Most commonly, it goes to the metacarpal phalangeal joints. And what this means is that your ligament joint capsule complex is now weakened integrity-wise, which means that the stability of your joint is lessened, which means that you have a hypermobile joint, an unstable hypermobile joint. Now, there are times where manual therapy can increase stability. You could um, maybe get rid of pain in a muscle that otherwise is being down-regulated, inhibited from contracting, and by getting rid of the pain, the muscle contracts better. So it becomes stronger and you increase stability. It's there might be those cases. Certainly you could correct muscle imbalances that change postures and pain patterns, all that great stuff. But generally speaking, mechanically, what manual therapy does is it loosens taut, soft tissues. It loosens tight muscles. It loosens up fascial adhesions. And that is really oriented towards increasing mobility, not stability. And generally, when you increase mobility by loosening things, you increase instability, you decrease stability. RA, rheumatoid arthritis, is a condition of instability. The last thing I would ever want to do to any of the intrinsic fascial ligament joint capsular complex of a joint that is being affected by RA, whether it's in an exacerbation cycle or even in a remission cycle, is do any type of mobilization to that joint. So whether it's grade four, slow oscillation, 
mobilization, joint mobilization, most every massage therapist in the United States can do. Please check with your certifying, regulating, licensing body about that before you ever do it, or grade five fast thrust that a chiropractor might do. I would never want to mobilize a joint that's hypermobile. So what then could my role be? Well, I mean, if there's hypermobility at one joint, I might be offloading stress to other joints that might create tightness, adhesions, you know, trigger points, et cetera, in other places. So I could certainly see massage, uh, any type of soft tissue manipulation being done for the compensatory changes that might occur around that joint or anywhere else in the body. Maybe I can't use my right hand, I use my left side more, and I develop pain in my left side, not because of RA there, but because of offloading stress there, et cetera. So I guess I would say that I would use hopefully good old fashioned, common sense, critical thinking of mechanisms, physical mechanisms, neural mechanisms to do my fundamental skill sets of manual therapy, which are what? Uh, hydrotherapy, hot, cold, massage, soft tissue manipulation, whether it's cross fiber or deep stroking along effleurage, circular strokes, tap, whatever it is, stretching joint mobilization elsewhere in the body to try to help with anything else that's cropping up as a result, or even just because they have other things in their body besides the RA. A person is not defined only by the condition that they come in with. Someone comes in and say, I have RA in my right hand. Well, that doesn't mean they can't have tight low back muscles. Forget about the fact they have RA or anywhere else. That's not, that doesn't define them. So I would have to just address other things, but to come back to it, I do not believe that mechanically I can do anything. Manual therapy can do anything directly to the joints that are affected by. All right. Thank you so much for giving your thoughts on this condition. Uh, if you listeners are interested in learning more about Joe's work and perspective, you can find him at learnmuscles.com. And if you go to How's the Pressure website, you'll find a link for a free month to his video subscription service and you'll get access to over a 1,000 continuing education video lessons for manual therapists like you. So thank you so much, Joe. Thank you so much, Haley. My pleasure. All right, so now we're going to turn to Irene Lyon, who's a nervous system expert, and she's going to provide us some context for how trauma plays into this condition. Thanks for joining us, Irene. Hey there, Haley. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about rheumatoid arthritis. Sure. So... Um... Rheumatoid arthritis, RA, um, from a somatic experiencing perspective, that lens that I've learned and, and practiced and have studied with Peter Levine and somatic practice with my other mentor, Kathy Kane, this nervous system physiology perspective, um, rheumatoid arthritis kind of falls in the same category as other syndromes, such as um, fibromyalgia, gut problems like IBS, Crohn, migraine headache, chronic pain, and of course, this is autoimmune, right? So another one, another um, one is deep, um, severe uh, menstrual cycle pain. So just where it isn't that general for the females listening to this, it's not that kind of icky, bloaty feeling. It's a little bit of crampy. It's like deep, deep debilitation, right? And so the one person actually I want to add a reference um, for those who want to go deeper into this topic 
is um, Gabor Mate's work. Do you know Gabor? So he's a physician. He's actually based out of Vancouver. He worked a long time ago, not anymore, in palliative care. He was head of Vancouver General Palliative Care. And so not a best, not a nice place to be because people are on their last few days with many diseases, of course, cancer and MS and ALS, which is a really tricky one, and rheumatoid arthritis, lupus. And what he felt and saw with those people, he talks about this in When the Body Says No. It's called When the Body Says No, The Cost of Hidden Stress. Wonderful book, wonderful book. Um, is that most of the folks who were dying young, like younger were and older, but with these debilitating diseases, they were people pleasers. They were people who could not express their pain. Everything was always, I'm fine. I don't need any help. I'm a burden to you. He said there would be people there literally on their deathbed with these autoimmune conditions, still apologizing for putting their family out because they had to come visit them. And so that sets up a very, it's hard to see this, but that sets up a container for seeing this is why this person got sick. And so he started to really see that the system is going into this. I mean, autoimmune is the system attacking itself. It's inflammation, but it's more than that. The system is literally breaking down. The emotional connection is actually, from what we've seen, really important because emotions are essentially sensation. We interpret emotions in our brain, but anybody who's felt deep sadness, it's in your gut, it's in your heart. Anger is in the throat, it's in the eyes, it's in the jaws, it's in the, you know, it, it's, it's it disgust is in the viscera, it's in you know that nauseous feeling of this is gross, this is disgusting. Joy is in the face, it's in the, you know, it's so there's all these these emotions that we harbor inside, typically because at some point in our life we were a burden. And it's not because anybody was trying to make that happen, but usually when we we go back again to early trauma, developmental trauma, typically when someone has such a severe autoimmune condition something went on early in life that led them to never fully be free in themselves. And so then we spend a whole lifetime masking ourselves, keeping ourselves perfect, um, proper, not rocking the boat, not disrupting people. But what happens is that then it disrupts us. So that survival physiology to be animalistic but also creative as humans it gets stunted and then this is where we could say genetics plays a part because you will have you know out of a population of say a thousand people who've all had very similar early trauma some will get cancer some will get heart disease some will end up with fibromyalgia some will get ra some will have gut problems and so the question is is it like we try to study the symptom and the disease, but what Gabor has really uncovered, and he's very open about this, as has um, Vincent Felitti, the founder of the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences study, that looks at the connection between early trauma and things like rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, heart disease, cancers, osteoarthritis, is that the system has 
not been able to regenerate and repair and then the genetic predisposition will be expressed, meaning the genetic predisposition for disease will be expressed because the nervous system is basically living in a state of dysregulation, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I guess my, my next question would be, is there anything that can be done once that expression starts to take hold? Like does, uh, once, once it starts to get expressed, is that this, the direction it's going wow. or is there a way that, um, that trauma can be influenced to mm -hmm. affect that expression? I think it, it depends on a lot of factors. Um, of course, the perfect world is that we just take care of these early traumas as soon as possible. You know, there are some people listening to this that will never happen because maybe they're a lot older and the, the damage has been so done that you might be able to get some relief, but to reverse completely might not be possible. Um, in order to look at this from a more macro point of view, I think that we have to look beyond what we understand in terms of human healing, because from a medical point of view, it's like, okay, there's all this inflammation, there's damage, you know, the immune system is uncomfortable and work on what we can to help lessen the symptomology. So that's one way of looking at it. I recently met a woman she did not have RA, but she had stage four breast cancer that had metastasized to her spine. So bone cancer. Usually when you hear that, the prognosis isn't good, right? And she said, screw you to the doctor. Like I'm going to live and I'm, and it was her wake up call. A lot of people will talk about how their disease, you know, when they survive it and heal, it was the best wake up call ever. Um, Anita Muraji um, wrote a brilliant book. I don't know if you know the book called dying to be me. She was in a similar state where she was like, it was bad. Like cancer was everywhere. And she had actually a near death experience where she went and saw the light and it shifted her entire, not just consciousness, but cellular organism. She came out of this near death experience in the hot, it's a great book, uh, in the hospital and within weeks, every single ounce of cancer was gone from her body. So you see, yeah, it's a great book. You see these miracle, you know, I do this air quote, miracle stories. I don't think there's so much miraculous. I think it's the person going 100% deep and, and having a literal like um, awakening, if you will, of holy cow, I have been living in victim mode, this, I'll talk about this in a second, victim mentality, been sorry for myself. I haven't been taking responsibility for the things that I've done that have not been good for my health. Yes, there's a horrible story that happened to me, but that is not me anymore. So there, there has to be a full, um, I see this train in my mind right now, like full steam ahead, going in the direction of what do we have to do to heal and I'm going to take any precaution and like any measures to get to this place. And I think in our system, at least here in North America, more Western culture, we've been so mm, fed the story that we can only get so far with what we do. And that might be true in some cases, 
you know, could we grow back an arm that was amputated? I don't know, you know, maybe, but you know, there's certain things when it comes to these more autoimmune based diseases, you still have all of your body there. Like the immune system hasn't been taken out. Like an, a leg has been amputated, like it's all there. And so this ability to kind of have a wake up call and be like, I'm going to reprogram my system so that it goes back to what it actually is meant for. And the system wants to heal. It doesn't want to be dysregulated. So what I've seen often, and Peter Levine's talked to this, is when he sees people that are in a really bad spot, whether it's something like RA or some kind of autoimmune condition, the people who get better or get a little bit better to the point of living vibrant lives, they no longer see themselves as victims if we attach this trauma piece to it. Yes, they were victimized, maybe. Yes, there was abuse, there was trauma, life was hard, but the narrative has to be changed, if that makes sense. They have to see that as that happened and now I'm here. And this, if we want to go a little more into quantum world, quantum mechanics, like past, present, and future are all the same. And in order to, in my opinion, as I see more and more clients and I talk with more people, for us to change the future of our health, we need to be in the present moment, but we also have to change the script of what happened in the past. It doesn't mean you erase what happened because that's impossible, but you shift the energetic of that holding you and gripping you down. The people that get better change the script. They change their narrative. That makes sense. I think that yeah. you're speaking to the relationship to that yes. past. The, the, the present is a reflection of the relationship to that past history. Yes, exactly. And if your relationship to it is constantly in, I got screwed over, life is terrible, I'm never going to change, nobody understands me, that is toxic. And, you know, you got, you have to let yourself feel, feel it, deep grief, deep sadness for the past that wasn't perfect, but it's from a body sensory point of view, because our mind is so strong as human beings. That's why we've created all this technology. We have strong minds. So if our mind is constantly re-traumatizing itself, the system will never have a chance to even start to heal. Right. And so the people that really um, that I've seen miracles happen in recoveries, there has to be a very strong, not just mindset, but okayness with accepting the fact that you're going to have to feel some really deep, deep, dark places because that early trauma was scary. There's a reason why it got trapped in the system and why you pretended everything was okay, because at some point you had to. But then there comes a point in time in current present day where you have to say to yourself, I don't want to have that script anymore. And in order for that to wash away, I'm going to have to feel all of the scary stuff in, of course, a safe, titrated, contained way. So it doesn't explode our system, but in a way that is very intentional, very adult, right? And very um, open. And I don't think, Haley, we've even begun to scratch the surface of what people can heal because we haven't shifted that way of seeing 
present, past, and future, if that makes sense. Thank you so much, Irene. You are welcome. So that was Irene Lyon. You can find out more about her and her work at their website, which is irenelyon.com. Now we're going to bring in Robin Scher, who's going to talk to us from the perspective of cranial sacral therapy. Thanks for joining us, Robin. Glad to be here, Haley. So talk to me about working with people who are suffering from rheumatoid arthritis. And I say suffering. I probably should say working with rheumatoid arthritis. I think folks with rheumatoid arthritis often suffer. I get what you're saying, though, because oftentimes we will say things like suffering from or victim of or... um, Things like that that put a label on our clients and put them in a, a a victimized position or a sick person position or identify them as their condition. And I know that you and I fight that tooth and nail, but the dominant culture, you know, even in sports, right? Oh, he's got an ankle, right? Right? Or they'll, you know, say so-and-so out, and then put the condition like that person suddenly becomes that condition. And in, um, in everyday life, we see people or people are seen as their diagnoses. It becomes an identifying marker. We as body workers are doing our darndest to do what we really believe in, which is seeing people as whole and resourceful, complete, wonderful, intriguing, however they show up and whatever they're working with. And that can be especially challenging for folks who have autoimmune diagnoses because those are most often long-lasting. They can be really debilitating and they can become a part of someone's identity. Folks with autoimmune conditions and other chronic conditions are spending way more of their lives seeing practitioners than most other people are. So when working with these people who have this condition, what are some of the things that you take them through? Well, I talk about what I do, right? And again, I'm often the last person on the block to be seen. Um, Folks, say, with rheumatoid arthritis are seeing me for pain, for lack of emotion, um, some of them have heard about the immune work that is particularly you know, pioneered by the Upletcher Institute, paying attention, you know, being able to palpate immune system function and engage with that and help with that, and they're interested in that. Um, but most folks are showing up on my table because they, they don't have other, other place to turn. Medication isn't working, or they really hate the medication. Right. They've been through a number of doctors, all of whom are trying really hard to help them, but they're not getting the help that they want. So we talk about what it is in craniosacral therapy that I do, which is to you know, look for subtle drivers of inflammation, do a whole body evaluation, not just pay attention to where there's pain, but look for where that pain might be coming from. Um, then looking at what exactly is going on in the in in the immune system with a chronic condition, right, with acute inflammation, we want, we want that immune system to be really hot and really active and, you know, breaking things down, attacking things. With an autoimmune condition, as you know, the 
body is simultaneously breaking things down and building things up at the same time. And it's just can create confusion within the immune system activity. It can also create a lot of bottlenecks and a lot of crowding just of cells trying to do what they're meant to do and enhancing fluid flow, enhancing um, minute movements can, can really be helpful with this condition. You mentioned that uh, Upledger had a specific, not say a protocol, but approach to working with uh, the immune system. Uh, can you describe that approach? As I've talked before about how I can palpate how limbs are responding to craniosacral motion, right? Not Limbs do not have craniosacral motion of their own. Craniosacral system has its own motion that the body responds to, just like breathing, just like heart rate. If we agree that everything in the body is in in a, in a well-moving system is able to respond to that inherent motion, well, then every cell is responding to that motion. Every body process is responding to that motion, and that can be palpated. So in, in palpating immune system activity, you know, looking for what's, you know, what's hot and stuck, what's cold and stuck, what's, what doesn't have a lot of vitality what has you know, more vitality than is effective. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for. And we're also looking for the small drivers of inflammation again. Perhaps, I'm using this as just one example because it's kind of easy to grasp onto, an old injury, an old surgery that has never fully healed. And so there's always just a bit of, bit of immune system signaling, a bit of inflammation going on. And inflammation is not uh, a localized phenomenon most of the time, right? It travels throughout the body, finds convenient places to land, and then does its thing. Do you find that craniosacral therapy is a effective means at working with improving people's lives who are dealing with rheumatoid arthritis? I have found it to be so, absolutely. A again, because craniosacral therapy, when done competently, right, and you know, on a good day for me, uh, we're looking for how much change a system can tolerate. We're really finely tuning and becoming facilitators, but also assistants. I view myself as an assistant to what the body's already trying to do. If I truly believe, which I do, that bodies vie for homeostasis, they aim to always be um, moving toward greater health, then I'm, I'm not the hero in this story. I'm the assistant. I'm the sidekick at best. I can be a really good sidekick and have all sorts of tools, right? Um, but I, I'm, I'm not the hero. My, body, my client's body is. Thank you, Robin. Thanks, Haley. That was Robin Scher. And you can learn more about her through her website at livinginthebody.net. And if you want to learn more about craniosacral therapy in general or its trainings, you can visit upledger.com. So now I'm going to bring in Marjorie Brook, who will give us her thoughts as an expert in scar tissue. Welcome, Marjorie. Hi, Haley. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about working with people with rheumatoid arthritis. That is a really good uh, subject because many therapists, they go, you shouldn't touch it, you shouldn't do. But in regard to scar tissue, what many people don't know, the link between scar tissue and arthritis 
is that, well, it appears that the two can be confused. And by that, I mean the pain, the lack of flexibility, the loss of motion following an injury is often diagnosed as arthritis instead of the result of scar tissue. Okay. If you're doing everything right after a surgery or an injury, as, such as going to a chiropractor and getting adjusted and stretching and moving, your body, uh, moving your body with sensible exercise, eating right, drinking plenty of water, getting lots of rest, the answer may be that you have a scar tissue problem and not so much arthritis. Now, yes, rheumatoid arthritis is uh, an, an autoimmune disorder and it's causing the problems, but a lot of the times the trigger and the immense pain before it gets really bad, there is a scar tissue issue because of the lack of motion at uh, movement and the inflammation buildup. So is it always really a flare up of the rheumatoid arthritis or is there possible scar tissue causing weakness and lack of range of motion and pain and trapped nerves within the area as well? And now it's a pain cycle. One is triggering the other. Right? You don't need to have scar tissue to have rheumatoid arthritis. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's a factor to consider. Look at the whole picture. Um, is there something I can do for adhesions and that to increase the flow, increase that, you know, so that the body, the autoimmune system is not uh, uh, disease kicked in. Um, it really, uh, it is very many times with regular arthritis right away, as I've uh, mentioned in the past that scar tissue in an area, especially in joints, uh, fingers, hands, and whatnot, um, will limit the range of motion, limit the range of motion, stagnation, will end up with arthritis. Now for kicking into rheumatoid arthritis, you have stagnation limited and more pain coming on, now more inflammation, now we have the rheumatoid and the autoimmune system, the immune system kicking in and going after itself. Now maybe it's producing too much right? Again, it's like kind of like for me, it's a chicken or an egg. Is it just rheumatoid arthritis or is it being triggered by a scar tissue inflammation adhesion event? Like, can I work around, not directly on the area, you don't work rheumatoid arthritis when they're in a flare up and that's going, that's, that's a no-no. But is there another area within the general pathway that could be causing an inflammation buildup or an inappropriate pulp? And I know that we don't want to work on the affected areas are the hands during a flare-up, but what about not during a flare-up? Would it, would it make sense to be doing some scar tissue work in between flare-ups to help uh, be proactive in, in getting in front of it? I would work definitely range of motion and light, 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 because you don't want to aggravate the tissues and start something, but I would always, always, always look range of motion. I would always do, um, I mean, for this, for one joint, for one joint, um, I, there's like six ranges of motion, six tiny little stretches that you can do joint by joint, slowly mobilizing each dip, mobilizing each uh, metacarpal into the carpals, every which angle for the range of motion, slowly, gently, not into a point that you're going to aggravate it and flare it up, but you want to establish as much range of motion and movement as you can and normalcy within it because of the pain of the rheumatoid when it's in a, you know, the, they, they, even if they're not in a flare up, they tend to use less, right. Or they're too busy with the creams and this and that and everything else, as opposed to movement. Right. And again, movement is life, right. We have plenty of time to stop moving when we're six feet under until then we need to move every single itty bitty joint every single tendon, every single ligament, every single line of fascia needs to be mobilized. 
and it needs to be free of restrictions. So, um, and when you have something like rheumatoid arthritis and it's an autoimmune flare up, again, I'll, 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 I'll look for any part in the body that I can work on and relieve tension and release, at least they feel like they're doing something. You know, if their hands aren't working, you know that their neck and their shoulders are a problem and their backs because they're trying to move and not use their hands in a normal fashion and adapt and compensate for that. So there's going to be an issue someplace else because of that, which is, again, could be causing uh, strain, tendon de uh, degeneration, anything that can trigger and cause more inflammation. The more inflammation you have, the more the rheumatoid, uh, the body's going to trigger with the immune disease disorder and go after and make a bad flare-up. All right. Thank you so much, Marjorie. My pleasure, Haley. If you want to learn more about Marjorie and her work, you can learn more at marjoriebrookseminars.com. So that'll do it for this round of panelists. But before I let you go, I wanted to talk about some of the things I noticed from this particular subject, both this particular episode and the one previous. Uh, one of the first things that was really useful that I have taken into my own practice as a massage therapist was the understanding that people with RA often use steroidal anti-inflammatories to counteract the effects that of the flare-ups in their condition. Now, these medications have powerful effects of dampening the immune system, which makes people who take that medication particularly susceptible to contracting pathogens that we as therapists might transmit. So it's a great reason to double down on our hygiene efforts and to make sure that we postpone sessions if we feel under the weather. I mean, even if we feel like something may be coming on, but it's too early to say, exercising an abundance of caution in these waters is like very important. Another point with working on RA patients is that it's a really great opportunity to listen to what is working for the client. Oftentimes, those who are experiencing a flare-up, even passive joint movement can be painful. And while the same person might love passive joint movement when they're not experiencing a flare, recognizing that their needs have shifted or it might be substantially different during when their symptoms are, are, are flared can actually help you avoid putting your client through unnecessary pain and possibly making the symptoms worse. This is a great time to lean on the client's previous experience of what makes them feel better during that time. And it might be that what is in fact needed is for them not to receive a massage and instead to reschedule for when their body is feeling better. Marjorie Brooke also pointed out that the possibility for a client to be misinterpreting an RA flare-up with a pain cycle issue related to scar tissue. For me, this was a good reminder that just because someone does have a condition, it doesn't mean that the current symptoms are so sourced solely from that condition. There might be something else at play. It was also useful to hear that symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis can sometimes be similar to those of fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome and other systemic conditions that don't have clear-cut parameters. The good news, however, is that our most effective approaches as massage therapists tend to be similar regardless. Soothing, relaxing, and usually lighter pressure work can have really positive effects on the client's nervous system and their experience of pain. It was also interesting to hear from several per perspectives that believe there is no way to directly affect rheumatoid arthritis as a condition. That there are numerous ways to address it indirect, but not directly. The deviations or exceptions from this specifically came from Rick Gold, 
who approached it from an Eastern modalities approach, and Irene Lyon, who used deep psychological and spiritual exploration, especially around the personal narrative of the client. So those two guests felt like they had a much more uh, direct access to the condition, whereas other guests felt like you could only access it indirectly. All right, well, that does it for my thoughts on RA. And as we're winding down this season, and this is the last episode of a long string of roundtable episodes. So I wanted to thank all of you for listening and taking time out of your schedule to explore these conditions with me.